You're listening to Collegiate Chaos. Here are your hosts, Matt Levine, Ben Dixon, and Sam Ostry. Welcome to yet another episode of Collegiate Chaos. Matt Levine, Ben Dixon, Sam Ostry with you. A big episode today. We wanted to do a preview of the NBA draft. We didn't get to it, but we'll recap it now. The NBA draft, a bunch of guys getting taken, some surprises, some winners and losers. And then we'll talk about college football as usual. And then next week's episode, we'll get into all of the college basketball games. And it'll kind of be both sports at the same time, which is the best time of year for us. We love that. Um, but we'll just start it off. What are your overall sure. impressions, guys, of Nothing better. the draft? So, I mean, it was, an int- it, was, it was an intriguing draft. And I don't think there were too many surprises or shocks. Um, but it was certainly an interesting draft. Going in, I think um, a lot of people were saying wasn't a great draft class at the top. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, I think there's potential for some star power, but I think it was more that a lot of these guys we hadn't seen play. Like, you look at the top of the draft. I mean, at least the, how we're used to seeing them play. A lot of, the, a lot of international prospects, LaMelo, um, people like R.J. Barrett went overseas, skipped college, James Wiseman, the second overall pick. He only played three games at Memphis and then set out the rest of the season. So, I mean, I think it was just more that we just don't have as much exposure to these guys. But also, I think this is really important to keep in mind that we shouldn't be judging these guys off the rookie season. Usually, I would say it's not fair anyway for draft prospects because, you know, rookies, they need time to develop, all that. But this year especially, the the season starts in a month. I mean, they're going – they're moving in today. The draft is yesterday. Today, they have to move to the NBA cities, find a place. Training camp starts in like two weeks. So, I mean, there's no summer league. They don't get all that whole summer. Obviously, they've been working, but it's not. It's different when you're not in your team's facility getting acclimated to the coaches and your teammates. So, I mean, this year especially, I think it's going to be tough to judge these guys as rookies. That point, only with less than a month to go until the season starts, literally unheard of with the draft usually in June and the season starting in late October. I think – like you said, Sam, it's really hard to judge these rookies. I think you're going to see the guys who are more experienced basketball players and maybe some of the international guys like Danny Avdija, who slipped in the draft. That was a great pick by the Wizards. We'll get into that. But maybe guys like that, guys who have played overseas, maybe seniors in college, who are more experienced basketball players, maybe have an easier way acclimating to the NBA lifestyle, to the NBA game. But look that. you look at the draft, like you said, Sam, not a lot of surprises. The draft was definitely top-heavy. Uh, we kind of expected it to go Edwards, uh, Wiseman, Ball, which it did. Uh, a little surprise at four with Williams going to the Bulls. But overall with the draft, uh, it's a fun night. No really blockbuster trades like we've seen in the past, but uh, overall good draft, and it was a good watch. And we'll start talking about our biggest winners, biggest losers. Um, I'll, I'll say mine first. The biggest winner for me is the Sacramento Kings. They stole Tyrese Halliburton at 12. Um, I thought he was going to be a top five pick. He was on Jay Billis's draft board as a top five player. So that was a steal. I can't believe he fell that late. And then in the second round, they take Michigan State's Xavier Tillman Sr., who I thought could slip into the first round at the end. Uh, he, he fell into the second round early, 35th overall pick. Listen, I think this is – a team that they stole and they stole Halliburton. I think that that pick from uh, Tillman got traded to Memphis, but 
So, so Tillman won't be heading to Sacramento, but still just, they were in the spot to get Halliburton at 12. And I really think with the unknown of what Buddy Heald and um, De'Aaron Fox will do, I think this is a great pick getting a point guard in Halliburton at, from Iowa State. One of the best players, in my opinion, in the draft. And I'm excited to kind of see if Sacramento changes it all as a, as a franchise. Yeah, I completely agree with um, Halliburton and the Kings. I mean, I'm shocked he fell that low. I mean, Bobby Marks was saying on the broadcast, like, he's done these interviews forever. This was the best interview that he's ever given. Like, everyone speaks so highly. Great kid. I'm sure it'll be a great fit if they and with the three-guard um, system that the Kings might implement. My uh, winner of the night is first the Sixers. It wasn't necessarily their drafting, but just their overall draft night. They, first, they move Al Horford. Horrible contract that Elton Brand signed him to last year, and get Danny Green back, a shooter that they need. And in terms of their draft, they drafted Tyrese Maxey, and who's a shooter from Kentucky. That Calipari, it's not like he speaks low on any of his guys, but speaks really high of him as a shooter. And Isaiah Joe, who slipped, was really high on some draft boards, slipped because of some injury and medical concerns that teams flagged him with. But he has tempted 10 threes per game. I mean, that's, that's a lot of threes to be thrown up, so he's certainly not afraid to shoot the ball. Um, and, and then they got rid of Josh Richardson, who was more of a – wasn't very good for the Sixers last year coming over from the Heat. He, he, um, he's not really someone who extends the floor with his shooting range, so he, doesn't, he didn't provide that spacing. He was more of a mid-range player. And they flipped him for Seth Kurt, who I love. I think was great next to Luka. And when Luka was on the bench, he has unlimited range, career 45% three-point shooter, really can extend the floor, which is really their whole night was, it seemed like their goal was just to create space for Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And I think Seth Curry is going to be a huge impact player for them. So Sixers are my winners of the night. Yeah, uh, for my winners, I'm going to have to bounce off what Matt said with the Sacramento Kings about Hal Burton. Maybe the steal of the draft at 12th. Uh, he's a legit player all around in college at Iowa State. It's going to be great for them. But... Uh, I'm going to go with the Denver Nuggets. That's a good draft. They take RJ Hampton at 24. Um, RJ Hampton, as we know, was one of the top high school players in the country. Decided to go over to Australia, play for the New Zealand Breakers instead of uh, taking the college route, which you can't blame anyone for. You decide you want to get paid to play basketball. I mean, good for you. I mean, and it ended up not working out for him as great as he expected, but I think Denver's a great landing spot for him. It reminds me a lot of the Michael Porter Jr. pick by the Nuggets a couple years back where uh, a star player really slipped and people forgot him at him. But they took him. I think R.J. Hampton found a great landing spot in Denver. Uh, the 6'5", 188-pound point guard. Uh, he's a playmaker. He's someone who will make a great impact in Denver. And I think if you look at Denver's season last year, Western Conference Finals, they have a lot to build on there. And I think it's a good role for him where he can contribute right away in Denver. And my loser, uh, I mean, not going to go with the loser of the actual draft. I think I'm going to talk about the Golden State Warriors. Obviously, the James Wiseman picket, too, was a no-brainer. But you look at the Clay Thompson injury for Golden State, tearing his Achilles. That really sets their, their season back, sets the franchise back a year or two, because you never know if he's going to come back the same player. And it's unfortunate because Clay Thompson is an easy guy to root for in the NBA, uh, one of the best shooters we've ever seen, uh, just a very likable guy. Let's go out to him. 
but I've got to say the Warriors, the losers of the day, not necessarily of the draft, but not a great day for them losing one of their franchise cornerstones. Yeah, and as Sam said earlier, this draft wasn't really seen as too top-heavy the way it was last year when you had Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, players like that, that you knew were going to be at the top of the draft. Here you kind of knew the top, but they're not so separated from the rest. Uh, at least that's the narrative kind of around it. So I can't really say that there's one specific loser uh, just yet. Um, obviously, if there is a player like when Cleveland drafted Anthony Bennett and he was absolutely terrible, then we can go ahead and say there's a loser. But right now I'm not going to go and say that. Um, but I think the Warriors did a good job of obviously drafting Wiseman. You have to do that too. Um, and then they got Nico Mannion as well, another point guard. Uh, who I think will develop pretty well under Steph Curry. He was a great prolific player at Arizona, top 20 player in his recruiting class, a five-star. He's, he's a good player. He, I think he's overlooked a little bit. Uh, so I'm excited to see what he does in the league, obviously playing behind Curry. And hopefully if Thompson um, is able to come back the same player, he can learn from both of those guys, both NBA champions. Curry is one of the best ever. Um, so I think that's a great pickup by them. Yeah, I mean, you guys talk about the Warriors. I mean, we feel horrible for Clay Thompson. If, if it is what the early reports were in Achilles injury, I mean, I've, who doesn't love watching him play basketball? So that's that'll be a brutal blow for him and them. But in terms of their pick, James Wiseman, I love James Wiseman. I think it was the obvious choice. I think they were hoping that – I don't think he was really going to go one, but I, I, think, I think they're glad – People, some people thought that the Clay Thompson report came out a couple hours before the draft and might switch up the strategy. I'm glad they didn't. James Wiseman is a huge rim runner. He can block shots um, and, and protect the rim and just um, run rim to rim. But really what he does, which is perfect for the team, is the Warriors love to run so much motion and just free up shooters. And he's that like great screen setter that they need. Like Draymond Green's been in that role. I think he's going to complement him really well on both sides of the floor. And so I think James Wiseman is the perfect fit and really that big that throughout their championship runs, they've been searching for like Andrew Bogut was, he was a great screen setter, but he can't, he wasn't anything special towards the end of his career. James Wiseman has that athleticism that the Warriors have been looking for in a big, but in terms of my loser, um, it's, it's weird to say because you, the pick with the, the team with the number one overall pick, the Minnesota Timberwolves, those are my loser. That's my loser of the draft. I don't think Anthony Edwards, is necessarily a boss, but I'm not super high on him. He's athletic. He's downhill scorer. He can't shoot the ball well enough. He was in 20%. He was 28, 29% for his career at Georgia, and he's attempted seven shot, seven three-pointers a game. So it's not like he was getting them off. He wasn't getting them off. So I don't really see him carrying the team on the back. I also don't love the fit for D'Angelo Russell because D'Angelo Russell needs the ball in his hand. He was best with the Nets when he was a high screen and roll player. Anthony Edwards, I don't really see him playing off the ball that well because of his, his shooting woes early. And then they also drafted Alexis Pokusevichi. I think that's how you pronounce his game. But I watched some film on this guy. And he, if you watch this film, he's playing against the like smallest guy, like just the smallest guys you could possibly find. Just ordinary dudes that look like us in his film. And I know some of Giannis's film was like that too. A lot of people were saying that. But he's playing against no competition. He's incredibly skinny, really weak, doesn't attack the, the, the rim strong at all. He kind of has a shooting touch. He's going to be more than a project in the NBA. I don't really see him developing into much. I didn't understand that pick at 17. 
when people like RJ Hampton and some others were on the board. So the Timberwolves with number one pick, believe it or not, are my losers. Yeah, and uh, Sam, you talk about uh, the name you just mentioned, Alexei. Hard to pronounce. Uh, I don't even, <laughs> yeah, hard, hard to pronounce. But he averaged 0.3 points per game in the EuroLeague, which is definitely uh, not overwhelming. A, a little interesting there where it got, like you said, guys like RJ Hampton, even Sadiq Bey were still on the board. Interesting there. And you talk about your winner there, James Wiseman. Uh, or not your winner, but you talk about James Wiseman going to the Warriors. I think this guy's got future perennial all-star written all over him. At seven foot, 250, huge wingspan. He's, he's an athletic freak, rim protector. I, I'm a big fan of James Wiseman. I think he's, like you said, the big man that the Warriors need. Now we'll get into just talking about specific players. Obviously, top of the draft, we know how it went. But obviously, the, the Ball family, uh, they've gotten all the press with Lonzo, LeVar, everything going on, Angelo, now LaMelo. What do you guys think LaMelo is going to bring to the table in the NBA? Well, to start, I mean, if we're going to name the winners in the drift, you got to name uh, LeVar Ball, of course, uh, two top three picks in the last five years that are his kids. I mean, you can say whatever you want about the guy. It's pretty impressive uh, runs in the family. And uh, I know he's been wanting to face Michael Jordan in, the, uh, in a 1v1 game, and now LaMelo's going to Charlotte and – as we know, Michael Jordan, the owner of the Charlotte Hornets, would love to – I'd pay a lot of money to see that matchup. But um, from a basketball perspective, LaMelo, 6'7", huge point guard. We've obviously known what he brings to the table since he went to Chino Hills. He'll pull up from anywhere on the court. He's a great playmaker. Uh, I was impressed with some of his film in Australia, uh, playing with grown men for a year and then obviously playing with grown men in Lithuania back in the day, I think gives him a competitive advantage over his peers entering here. I think LaMelo uh, will end up being a great pick for Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte not in a position to win now. I don't think they'll be in a position to win for a little while. So he'll be able to progress slowly, maybe not be in the national spotlight in Charlotte. But uh, I think LaMelo will be a great point guard for the Hornets and I'm excited for the, the Hornets Pelicans and we get to see him and Zell face off uh, should be interesting yeah I mean I was on ESPN.com this morning and the top two stories were LaMelo Ball story so we know he's gonna garnish that attention even in Charlotte in terms of a prospect I mean he's such an interesting prospect not just because of the family he comes from but like you look at some of the, the reports that and the quotes that scouts and executives put out there there's such there's, there's such a big difference in terms of like what they're saying about him. You would think you're not even talking about the same player. Some guys love him, love his talent. Some guys don't want anything to do with him, didn't want to touch him. I think Charlotte is a good spot for him. I mean, he's incredibly talented. We know that. We know the scoring efficiency, some of those overseas, some of the shot selection that he took was just horrible. And his team won like two games overseas this past season. So it wasn't a winner team. I think he's going to put up a ton of numbers with Charlotte, so certainly be in contention for Rookie of the Year. But I don't know if that's the right place for in terms of learning how to be shot, um, be more efficient as a scorer. He's an amazing passer, amazing playmaker. I think the backcourt with Devontae Graham and Terry Rozio will be good for him. I think Michael Jordan, I mean, Michael Jordan, we know he's kind of been a hands-off owner. If he really wants to take um, that accountability and take LaMelo on as a mentee, then I think he'll be in a good position because he just needs to sh clean up the shot efficiency and the shot selection. But I mean, he clearly loves basketball. I mean, it's, it's, it's in his blood. It always has been. I think, 
I think his ceiling, this, I think he's the prospect that we haven't seen such a wide gap between the ceiling and floor in such a long time. I think his ceiling is, his floor I think is like Lonzo right now, who's a solid starter. I think LaMelo is more talented, more gifted than Lonzo. But, I mean, we'll, we'll see with LaMelo. He's, I just can't wait to see because he's such an interesting prospect. I think it's a good pick, not even just from skill set-wise, as, as a marketing strategy for Charlotte, who is arguably one of the worst franchises and has been for a while. Um, they haven't had a player with a name to their name, ex- it, literally since Kemba Walker, I think. Um, they don't have that attraction the way other franchises do. Like, even when the Knicks are the worst team in the league, they play in New York. They're going to get that coverage. So now drafting this guy third overall, as you said, Sam, t- two top stories on ESPN are about him. So they're going to get a lot more coverage. They're going to make a lot more money now. Uh, I'm sure that wasn't really too much of their thought when they drafted him, but a great job by them. I think they're getting a good player. Um, and over the past few years, we've seen LeVar step out a little bit compared to what he was right away when Lonzo was coming up. So I have to respect him for that. Um, and he's done a pretty good job with his kids, if I have to did say. He, did he step out or did he step out or did he just phase out? And maybe, maybe he phased out. Maybe people started uh, ignoring him a little bit. Uh, yeah. I think the, the TV executives decide they don't want him on anymore. <laughs> he's a character, though. He's a character. And we talked a little bit about Anthony Edwards at the top. Uh, I think he was the clear number one guy for a while from Georgia, good shooter. And we know what the Timberwolves are getting there. But our guy from Maryland, Jalen Smith, worked his way after freshman year, came back sophomore year, and he worked his way all the way up to a top 10 pick, drafted 10th overall by the Phoenix Suns, first lottery pick and the highest draft pick out of Maryland since Alex Len was drafted fifth overall by the Suns. Uh, and you got to be just so happy for Jalen Smith. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, go, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead, Sam. Um, so for Jalen Smith, I mean, if originally I was surprised. I mean, number one, he's a great kid, a hard worker. Everyone at Maryland, everyone's so happy for him. I was surprised by the pick. I mean, I think a lot of people thought it was a reach. A lot of mocks had him going like maybe late lottery, maybe just after the lottery in the late teens. So I think it was a bit, it could have been a bit of a reach, but more I think about the fit. Originally I was like, all right, he's probably going to be not in the starting lineup to start backing up DeAndre Eaton, which could be good and bad, but I don't know why you would spend the 10th pick. The more I think about it and look at that Suns roster, Aaron Baines flourished as being a guy who just grabbed rebounds and hit perimeter shots. And with DeAndre Ayton in the lineup, too. Aaron Baines is a free agent this year. He's probably not going to re-sign after this. So he's probably going to be out. And so I think Jalen Smith can step into that role. He's a good three-point shooter. I mean, he is great. We know he does on defense. He can even guard perimeter guys when he needs to. But he's a great rim protector. Rebounds the ball like we saw very few bigs do in college basketball last year. But what impressed me so much about him is from two seasons ago to last season, he Two seasons ago, he shot 26% from three. Last season, 36% from three. I mean, that's a huge 10% in field goal percentage, three-point field goal percentage jump. That just shows his work ethic, how he's willing to get better. I think Monty Williams is a great coach in Phoenix. 
they're in the developmental stage still. They had a great bubble, 8-0 in the bubble. I think that's I think it's going to be a good fit for him if he can continuously spread the floor with DeAndre Ayton by knocking down that three-point shot. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, to bounce off what Matt said, it's so easy to be happy for Jalen just because you know he's such a great kid and he works so hard to get to where he is and for him to go top 10 in the draft, just awesome for him. Uh, but in terms of from a basketball standpoint, I don't know if anyone was ever considering Jalen Smith to go in the 20s or even in the second round because you look at a guy his size, 6'10", 225, no one shoots the ball like that and moves that well, especially when he gives you that rim protectability and rebound on defense he does need to become a little better uh man-to-man defense but I think he's a great fit perfect stretch for for Phoenix and people who are really questioning his uh defensive man-to-man abilities he's not going to be asked to to guard centers man-to-man in the NBA he's going to be the stretch for he played a little bit out of position at Maryland due to some uh outside problems with the Mitchell brothers transferring so he had to play more five than maybe coach Turgeon wanted but I think he's a great stretch four option for Phoenix. He'll fit in perfectly with that core of CP3 now, Devin Booker, uh, Mikel Bridges, DeAndre, and I think you can slide him right in there at stretch four. He can protect the rim. and can also space the floor with some threes from the corner, the wing, anywhere. He's got a pretty good face-up game. I think it's a great fit from a basketball standpoint. And while 10 may have been a stretch, people are saying, I think it was a great pick by Phoenix, and it'll work out great for him. Yeah, just touching on what you guys both just said, I mean, the jump that he made from being a skinny high school kid, five-star, top 15 in his class, came into Maryland. I don't even think he weighed 200 pounds. Um, He was probably around 190 when he was a freshman at Maryland, which is pretty absurd when you're 6'10 and a Division I basketball player. But he figured it out. He put on muscle after his freshman year, came back, made the jump. And we we saw the jump he was making late in his freshman year. In the NCAA tournament against Belmont two years ago, he was unreal. Uh, against LSU, he was the only player that led that comeback in the second half. And they, they relied on him then. And I saw right away that based on those last few games in the 2018-19 season, he was going to come back as a sophomore and just be the best player that he can. Uh, and he put on nearly 30 pounds up to 225, still just a long player. He, he, by far, I mean, he upgraded his shot by far. He improved on his shot, and he became more of a versatile player, a versatile scorer. He ran the floor better. Um, he was even – he was, I, don't, I don't see the liability with his defense there. I mean, I think he's a great defender going up against other Big Ten true centers like Luca Garza – and Kofi Coburn, there's just so many. Xavier Tillman, he did a good job guarding every single one. Uh, there was really no game last year where you said, oh, Jalen got destroyed on defense. They're not, like that, that really didn't happen too often. Maybe a couple plays, but there was no game where I sat there and said, Jalen Smith played bad defensively today. So yeah. the way he, he – made that jump, I think, shows the kind of jump he can make into the NBA. Um, I didn't think the Suns were interested in him. I didn't even see that at all in any mock draft that I had read before the draft. Uh, The highest I saw him was at 13 to New Orleans. And 
he goes at 10, I think that's just so good for him. It's so good for Turgeon. so good for the program. And I think the Suns are getting a really special player. He's going to work hard. And I think he fits right in. Uh, as you said, Sam, I looked at this team first right when he got picked. And I was like, oh, I don't really like it. But the more I look at it, the more I like it. I think with the trade of Chris Paul, Devin Booker, who's one of the best young stars in the league, they have a chance to do something special here. And I think Jalen Smith could be a part of their future, uh, especially if DeAndre Ayton really emerges as a great player, former number one pick. Uh, I think if he emerges as a great center, Jalen Smith could compliment right off that and be a true stretch four uh, and be a good player for the Suns. Yeah. I mean, you just talked about his defense, how he's an absolute anchor on the defensive side of the floor. The one thing I want to see on offense is beyond his improvement on shooting, just going up to the rim stronger. I mean, sometimes we saw him going up a little soft last year. And I think, I think he'll certainly improve that as he builds his body and continues to gain strength in the NBA. I think, as I said earlier, the Suns and Monty Williams staff is, are going to develop him quite nicely. Chris Paul, is perfect for any young player, not just guards, to be around as a leader. And so I think I think it is a good fit too. So I'll touch yeah, on from a or go ahead, Ben. I was just gonna add real quick from a basketball standpoint, he he fits today's game perfectly with that stretch for like we and I was saying before he needed a great fit to be uh, a successful NBA player and I think this is a great fit. And just touching on the Knicks a little bit, I think they had one of the best drafts as well, uh, getting Obi Toppin at eight from Dayton, Naismith Player of the Year. They got Emmanuel quickly in the first round as well from Kentucky, the SEC Player of the Year. And then they had drafted uh, Minnesota's Daniel Oturu, but I believe he is traded. Uh, I don't remember where he got traded to, but the Knicks dumped him off right after that. And then they signed Miles Powell undrafted as an undrafted right. free agent who is the Big East player of the year. So uh, just a lot of excitement from my hometown team. Um, I think Obi Toppin, at first I, I didn't really like him that much, but to see that raw emotion that he had being from New York, just breaking down at his interview right after he got drafted, I think that was so special to see. And the way he said, you know, like, you're from New York, you represent this city, you know, I'm not going to let anyone down. That's that's my mindset when I play an NBA 2K. My my career guy gets drafted by the Knicks. The same mindset. So I know exactly what he's thinking. And I'm excited to see what he brings to the table in the NBA. So he was so special to watch last year in college. Yeah, I mean, that was an awesome moment. Um, watching him break down, getting drafted by the Knicks. We knew the Knicks were interested. Um, going back, we thought they were going to trade up. We thought that's why they acquired that 23rd pick originally. They might trade up for him because we knew the intrigue they had with Obi Toppin. They got their guy, and I think he's going to be a really special offensive player. I mean, I think he'll fit right in with the Knicks, with Mitchell Robinson, with R.J. Barrett. He can score. He's a real three-level scorer. Like, he can post someone up in the mid-post, back down to the basket, on the block, wherever you need. He can run the pick and pop. He can stretch the floor, shoot from the outside. I mean, he's a special. Like, people want to get on him, and that's probably why he fell a little bit because – not really recruited out of high school that much, Was um, had a long college career, which people don't like as much nowadays. But he's a special offensive player. The only thing is defensively, I mean, he's not great. He's not great at switching. His lateral movement struggles. He 
he's not as quick as you would want him to be defensively, but I think with defense, it's definitely something that can be learned in the NBA, especially help defense and just learning rotations. And he, he wants it. You know he wants it. He wants this. He's so happy to be in New York. And I think that's going to be a perfect fit for New York. I agree. When, when you say defense is an easier thing to teach in the NBA, especially off ball, I agree. I mean, if, if that's one weakness to have with this guy, it's really not the end of the world because, like you said, he's really a three-way offensive player. He can do everything. And it helps that when he was in high school, he was a 6'2 guard. So he has those guard skills, but at 6'9", 220, he can also face up as a big man. So he's in all different types of ways. He's an athletic monster. Uh, he threw down a between-the-legs dunk during a game, unheard of. Uh, so Toppin will have the garden going electric. I mean, the, the sayings are, are already all, all over social media. Uh, ain't nobody stopping Obi Toppin. Uh, I'm not a Knicks fan, but I can uh, sit back on by and say this is a pretty good pick for the Knicks. And I think Toppin will develop into franchise cornerstone, cornerstone for them, honestly. So college basketball tipping off a week from yesterday when we record this. So next Wednesday, November 25th, Thanksgiving Eve. It'll never be the same again. But I think we're going to have a pretty good episode next week to preview the season, uh, preview whatever games are going on, the non-conferences, early season blowouts from the ranked teams, things like that. We'll transition into college football now. Um, some devastating news out of College Park again. We saw it last week. Maryland and Ohio State got canceled due to coronavirus outbreak within the Maryland program, and they weren't able to avoid uh, more of a spread. They had eight players test positive last week, and now 15 this week in the last seven days. It was announced this morning. So they're up to 23 total positive cases within players in the last two weeks. And they also had seven staff members test positive in the past week, including head coach Mike Loxley. Um, so just – an all-around disaster right now for the Terrapins. And it's it's frustrating knowing that I was going to broadcast both of these games for WMEC Sports. But I think just there's a, it's a little bit bigger than me. I, I'm being selfish. It's a little bit bigger than myself. I hope all these guys are okay. I hope Locks is okay. Um, and I think it's important to kind of sit back and realize how, how impactful this can be on so many levels. Uh, but – Michigan State not playing now this week. And if Maryland loses out on one more game, they will not be qualifying for the Big Ten title game, which who knew? Who knows if they would have gotten there. I don't think they would have, but still frustrating just to miss all these games in such a truncated season. Yeah, I mean, it's brutal to see. You hope Coach Loxley and all the Maryland players that have tested positive are doing well and make a full recovery. I mean, it – it's 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 it really sucks. It's running rampant. COVID coronavirus is running rampant throughout the country. It's no different on college campuses and in college football. And so we're seeing that. It will be interesting, aside from Maryland, just the overall cancellations that we're seeing across college football. This Tuesday is the first time the college football committee releases their ranking. So it will be interesting to see how coronavirus plays into that and what 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 they factor and what they don't. It's obviously early, there's weeks to go, but It'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Yeah, definitely the worst case scenario for Maryland football. Obviously, hoping for the best for everyone affected by the outbreak. Uh, like Matt said, one more game not played, and uh, the Terps are out of the running for the Big Ten championship. 
Um, I mean, you didn't expect it at the beginning of the year, but this was a game where the Terps were, were favored by about a touchdown, expected to win. You could have improved to three and one. So it's really, really, really tough that they don't get to play this game. And Matt, I'd just like to add that uh, you're not being selfish. We yeah, do feel for you. Good. It's definitely unfair that you don't get to broadcast two weeks in a row. Um, I know, I know, it'll be all over uh, WMEC Sports when the basketball season starts. But uh, we do feel for you, brother. It's not not a great situation. Appreciate that. Um, but in general, just kind of the two tails of the season so far. I mean, they get blown out at Northwestern by 40. They come out and win in overtime against Minnesota at home. And we finally see Talia Tugavailoa be the quarterback that we all thought he could be. And he continued that at Penn State, and Maryland dominated Penn State. So they go 2-1 and one into Ohio State, rolling. Everybody thinks that they have a shot. And then it kind of just gets shut down. So it's just kind of crazy. Like, I don't know how these guys are feeling, the emotions that they must have, especially the guys that haven't tested positive when they're seeing all their teammates test positive and – they're, they, these guys are their friends, their roommates. They live together. They do, they do everything. They pretty much ride or die with each other. And just to see that with the emotions of how high they were after those wins and now how low they can be. And I know that Coach Loxley preaches neutrality and always staying neutral no matter what the situation is, not getting too high and not getting too low. So I think it's just it, – it's tough. And I feel for these guys. I feel for the players, the coaches. And I just – I really don't know how these guys are feeling inside that program right now. Yeah, it's, it's a horrible situation. And we, I mean, we knew coming in to the, to the season when the Big Ten originally didn't, didn't play, when they saw the other conferences playing, so they decided to opt back into a season. We knew this was a possibility. I mean, but still when it hits, especially when it hits as close to home as Maryland, it's tough to see. And you just, you, like you said, Matt, you feel for everyone who has the disease, who doesn't have the disease in the program, and you wish everyone a speedy recovery. But, but we also, it'll be interesting to see how college basketball, I mean, I know there's some not, not major programs, but some mid-levels that decided with coronavirus getting worse not to have a season at all. The Ivy League, they're not having any winter sports, so they, we won't be seeing them play basketball. So college basketball starting next, next week in six days, well, it'll be interesting to see how um, COVID affects college basketball, too. Yeah, it's just a terrible situation for everyone involved. Uh, not only just the Maryland football program that's being impacted, there's 14 games as of now, uh, one, 119 on Thursday, that are not being played this week in the FDS. So, like you said, Sam, it, could, it probably will affect college basketball in some capacity. We know the Ivy League, which is uh, – not a decision to take slightly because they're the academic uh, kings of college sports. They're not playing this uh, this winter college basketball. And there are some other games that have already been canceled for next week. I know a ton of teams are pulling out of uh, some events due to high COVID numbers. Uh, and at the end of the day, the whole COVID-19 pandemic is an issue bigger than sports. You can only so much. Uh, but at the end of the day, as long as the virus is here, that's going to be the deciding factor in all these games being played or not. And for the games that are being played this week, well, we usually take a look at the entire Big Ten, but some of the games are pretty pretty brutal. Um, but the games at the top, both divisions, two undefeated teams in the Big Ten East, you have number three, Ohio State, and number nine, Indiana. Uh, and in the Big Ten West, you have number 10, Wisconsin, and number 19, Northwestern. All four of those teams undefeated. 
two teams are going to remain undefeated. I think these are the two of the best games we've seen all season in the entire country. I'm excited for Ohio State, Indiana. Uh, Ohio State pretty much got a free bye week last week with the game canceled against Maryland. Indiana's rolling, and this game is going to be exciting. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is Ohio State's first real test this season, and really their only test this season. I mean, if Ohio State wants a shot to be in the college football playoff, they need to win this game. And really, if they don't win this game, I don't think any Big Ten team gets in the college football playoff. Maybe like Indiana somehow has a chance, but probably not. Wisconsin, no, because they were off two games. They already had two games canceled. So, I mean, if Big Ten wants a team in the college football playoff, it's going to be Ohio State, and they're going to have to win this one because really the rest of the regular season is a cakewalk. So, I mean, Indiana's really good. They've surprised everyone. They've This is their best start, first top ten Last week was the first top 10 um, selection, not selection, but they were in the top 10 for the first time and since 1968, I said last week. I mean, that's a long time. It's going to be a high-scoring game. Um, we saw Ohio State. I mean, we saw Wisconsin. All, uh, it was a bye, but it was really two weeks they had, which, which was a lot of time to prepare for the team and a lot of rest for some of their players that didn't have COVID. Ohio State had a bye last week because of their cancellation with um, against Maryland. So I expect it to be high scoring. Um, Indiana's offense is really good. The red zone efficiency is the best in the conference. And Ohio State has a good defense, but it's not great. I think Indiana will be able to put up points. Like 20 and a half is this line. Ohio State's 20 and a half. Uh, Vegas might be expecting a beatdown. I don't know if it'll be a beatdown, but I think Ohio State handles a really good Indiana team that has a strong future in the Big Ten. Um, pretty handled. Yeah, to me, this is an exciting game. Well, obviously, the side, the Big Ten East, bearing any other cancellations for Ohio State. But Indiana, obviously, a great story. 4-0, ranked in the top 10 for the first time in forever. Scoring almost 35 points a game, allowing less than three touchdowns a game. They've been awesome with the leadership of uh, Michael Penix Jr. at QB. But you look at Ohio State here, basically had a whole – two weeks, or not the whole two weeks, but a whole week to prepare for Indiana after the game against Maryland got canceled. They are favored by 20 and a half. Yeah, that line could be hefty, but to me, Indiana, like I said, great story. I love Ohio State big in this game. They're going to need to make a statement, not playing in two weeks. I think Justin Fields is really going to come out with that Heisman-type performance that elevates him to be maybe the favorite for the award. Who knows? But 20 and a half, I could see this game being kept close early. But Ohio State's just going to have too much firepower at the end, and I think they're going to run away with it. I agree, Ben. I think Justin Fields, in my opinion, is the favorite right now with Trevor Lawrence testing positive for coronavirus. Um, so if Justin Fields can stay the course and continue playing the way he, he does right now, no doubt in my mind he should be the Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, he was a finalist last year. He's having a phenomenal season. He has more touchdown, total touchdowns than incomplete passes. I mean, this guy is just – he just doesn't miss. He marches down the field and scores. and That's literally all Ohio State does, and their offense is so special. They're favored by 20-and-a-half. I think they'll cover that. It's, it's, it's heavy, but I don't I – don't, I think Indiana is good. I just don't think they're as good as Ohio State yet. Uh, and I think Indiana will be right behind them in the Big Ten East. And maybe, maybe they'll compete just because they have an extra game under their belt. So if, if Ohio State plays the rest of the season and loses one, 
I mean, this would be the tiebreaker pretty much, but this is an important game for both teams. Um, if Indiana wants to represent the Big Ten East in the Big Ten Championship game, they're going to need a win here. And if Ohio State wants to make the college football playoff, they're going to need to blow the doors off of Indiana. Maybe win by – maybe cover the spread, win by three touchdowns. But I think Justin Fields is going to have the Heisman performance that he usually does. Yeah, and yeah. just to add quickly, if Indiana somehow wins this game outright as a huge underdog, we're talking from ninth-ranked team in the country to going to be in the playoff bearing something that happens in upset. But we'll see what happens. I mean, Gus Johnson on the call, big noon Saturday, excited for this one. Yeah, it was – I was a little surprised it was a noon kickoff, and I was really looking forward to it. I mean, I'm going to watch this one, but I was really looking forward to it. I thought it would be more of a primetime game, two top ten teams. But you guys talk about Ohio Fields. I mean, I mean Justin Fields, this is a prove-it game for him, and it's a prove-it game for entire Ohio State to prove it to the committee and everyone watching. Indiana likes to blitz a lot, and they're going to put pressure on Justin Fields. This is his first real test of the season. It'll be interesting to see him getting out of the pocket, getting rid of the ball quickly. I think he will. And like I said earlier, I think – I don't know if they cover. You think they will cover, Matt? I'm not sure. But I think they take care of Indiana pretty handily. And then over in the Big Ten West, Wisconsin, the number 10 team in the nation, 2-0, and against number 19, Northwestern, who's 4-0. I'm surprised still by Northwestern. I think they're starting to grow on me now. I'm starting to believe they're legit. But I think Wisconsin's the Wisconsin's got to be the favorite here, um, and I think yeah they're favored by seven and a half. They should win this game, but Northwestern's defense is smothering, uh, and they've been good all season. They only allow fourteen points per game. Obviously, Wisconsin only has played two games. They've only allowed nine points per game, and they dominated Michigan last week. Uh, and I was shocked by that. I don't think Michigan – I did not think Michigan was that bad, but I guess they are. I think if the offense of Wisconsin can be contained by Northwestern's defense, then Northwestern has a shot. But if Graham Mertz is going to be special again, Wisconsin's just going to keep scoring. Uh, I think both these teams are really strong, but Wisconsin's just a little bit better, and they're a little bit further along. Uh, and And – I think they're more prepared to win a big game like this than Northwestern might be. You talk about Northwestern's defense. I mean, they're, they just smother. Uh, they contain the ball so well. They smother running backs in the running game. You said they're only allowing 14 points per game. That's ridiculous playing four games, and they're undefeated. I mean, they're a huge surprise as much as Indiana in the Big Ten. I don't think they're going to be able to handle Wisconsin's offense, though. We saw week one how amazing Graham Mertz was, like 20 for 21, put up crazy numbers. And then last – and then they had, obviously, two weeks off because of COVID. And then last week, we saw it wasn't even Graham Mertz who was carrying, who was carrying the show. It was their running game was dominating uh, as, fun, as dysfunctional of a Michigan team as you could find. But um, it was their running game carrying the show. So when they have this – Wisconsin has this approach offensively where they can hand off the ball, establish the run, and then if they need to, if they have this amazing quarterback sitting back in the pocket to make all the right throws. Northwestern's really good defensively. I, I don't think they can contain as much as contain Wisconsin's offense as much as they'll need to. So I think Wisconsin covers that seven and a half and, and takes care of business in this one. 
Yeah, like you said, Sam, with Wisconsin's offense being carried by the running game, that's what we're used to. But this could be a Graham Mertz Heisman statement game. Who knows? But Wisconsin, if they give you that offense with multifaceted offense where they can run to open up the passing game or they can throw to open up the running game, they're going to be unstoppable. And for me, through two games, while it's only been two games, this is the best Wisconsin offense I've ever seen. We're not used to them scoring 45 and 49 their first two games of the season against Big Ten opponents. Unheard of. But And especially with that defense shutting down, only giving up an average of nine points through two games. I love Wisconsin gear. I think they're great, better than their number 10 ranking. I think realistically they're top six-ish team in the country. Who knows? Uh, for Northwestern, I do feel bad that this isn't a true home game. I would have loved to see the environment in Illinois for this one. But I like Wisconsin favored by a touchdown here. I think that's about the result we'll see. Maybe a little more low scoring of the game than we've been seeing with Wisconsin just because both these teams have had such good defenses so far this season. I think it'll be a good one till the end, but uh, Wisconsin by a touchdown or two. And then you have in the Big 12, number 14, Oklahoma State, and number 18, Oklahoma, squaring off in Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma University is seven-point favorite. I think this might be the game of the week in terms of outside the Big Ten, other than Indiana, Ohio State. Um, I like Oklahoma in this, although they're – I mean, they're favored. They're at home, but Oklahoma State's ranked 14, Oklahoma 18. I just think it's time for Spencer Rattler to figure it out and win a big game and kind of show that Oklahoma isn't a fluke. Um, I think they get it done. And I think that's the game to watch, 7.30 on ABC, college game day. It's going to be exciting. And I think Rattler needs to – he really needs to perform in the bright lights for me to believe that he's as good as people have said. Yeah, this is the game of the week. And um, I like Oklahoma in this one too. Spencer Rattler, you talked about him. He just can't turn the ball over as much as he has been this year. And I think we'll be good to go. I like Oklahoma's – high-powered offense in this one. I mean, they're putting up 515 yards per game, 46 points. I don't think Oklahoma State can keep up with them. Um, so, I, I mean, I like Oklahoma in this one by more than a touchdown to cover my seven. Yeah. The Rattler's been so inconsistent for Oklahoma. I think you do see him have a great game. And if you look on the other side of Oklahoma State, anytime you get to see Chuba Hubbard, maybe the nation's best running back, play. He has uh, already 581 yards and five touchdowns this year. Should is well on pace to crack the 1,000-yard rushing mark on the season. He's an electric watch. Uh, Over-under is only 59.5 this game just because Oklahoma State's got one of the best Big 12 defenses we've seen. I think it'll end up being a little more high scoring than that. I do like Oklahoma to pull away late, but I think through at least three, three and a half quarters, it'll be a great game. And Clemson's taking on Florida State. I think Clemson's going to absolutely dominate. Florida State is terrible this year. Um, and we've seen what Clemson can do. They're only lost to Notre Dame. Now they're ranked fourth in the country. I think they need to win out to try and get back in to the college football playoff. I still think they would. Uh, if they win out, they'll, they'll make the college football playoff. They have to, especially when Trevor Lawrence comes back. I mean, who doesn't want to watch the number one pick? the future number one pick in the college football playoff. So they need to figure it out. They need to win every game, and they will. Uh, and then you have also Florida on the SEC against 0-6 Vanderbilt. And I think Florida has been my favorite team to watch. Number six now in the country, 
got a huge win against Georgia. Uh, now they, they, they're just blowing out everybody else. And they're favored by 31 and a half against 0-6 Vanderbilt. Kyle Trask, a quarterback, has been unreal. He's making a case to be a Heisman Trophy finalist. Uh, he's having as good of a season as Joe Burrow did last year in the SEC. So th this is my, I think this is my lock of the week. Uh, I'll preview that before we get to that later. But number six, Florida, my favorite team to watch so far. And they're going to win by 50 points against Vanderbilt. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a lot of points, but I, I completely agree with Florida. Could not agree more. I love watching Florida. Kyle Trask is amazing. He needs some recognition with the top of the guy, the top quarterbacks in the country and some Heisman recognition, which you don't see. He's getting a lot of in the national media. He's been phenomenal. And he last week he was without Kyle Pitts too and still put up crazy numbers. As for the Clemson game, it's not even going to be close to a game. Florida State is horrible. But Clemson um, – they will win out, but they need to dominate these teams, and I think they will. And then I believe they'll be playing, assuming everything's chalk, they'll be playing Notre Dame in the ACC championship, and they'll need to win that one. A rematch, Trevor Lawrence will be back for that one. I think they will. I think you'll end up seeing Clemson in the college football playoff. Right. There's, a, there's no divisions in the ACC this year. Just the top two teams are going to play in that title game will be Clemson and Notre Dame. Bearing anything that happens there, I mean, both these games you mentioned, Matt Clemson, Florida State, and Florida Vanderbilt, I think both are going to be won by at least five touchdowns by each team. But it's definitely worth keeping tabs on. Trevor Lawrence, the return game, could be the Jets' savior. Knock on wood, who knows? Um, excited to see him back under center. I think they'll win that big, and they're going to get themselves back at the top of the playoff discussion. And for Florida, They'll just keep sneaking up. Uh, Kyle Trask, like you said, having a Joe Burrow-like year, one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. The, uh, the connection between him and tight end Kyle Pitts has been electric. Pitts, uh, not sure if he's playing this Saturday. He was out last weekend, been injured. Um, maybe out this weekend. Don't know about that. Had no official ruling there. But Kyle Trask, definitely a game worthy of turning on just to watch him. Him and Lawrence both been two of the top quarterbacks in the nation this year and uh, very exciting teams to watch there in Clemson and Florida. So I think it's about that time before we wrap up, we get to our lock and our Wait. upset of the week. A real quick breaking news. Um, what was just tweeted that we were talking about, Clay Thompson, the Warriors earlier. Earlier, he did suffer season-ending Achilles tear, which is just brutal. I mean, you feel so bad for him. He hasn't played since June of 2019. It'll been like two and a half to three years since he sees like an NBA game again. I mean, you just feel horrible for him. I'm sure he's devastated. He just loves the game of basketball and he's one of the most fun players to watch play in, in recent years. And so you feel for him the entire organization. Yeah, it's absolutely brutal. I mean, tearing your ACL, recovering, getting back to playing and you tear your Achilles. I mean, I think the Achilles is worse, arguably a worse injury. And nobody knows. It's harder man. to come back from. Yeah, it's harder to come back from. It's harder to recover from. Now nobody – I mean, I didn't know how he was going to come back from the ACL tear, but now I really don't know off of an ACL tear and an Achilles tear. How do you rehab kind of – he's still rehabbing the ACL. How do you rehab both of them at the same time? Uh, obviously, they're both different legs, but it's, it's terrible. Yeah, it's heart-wrenching. Clay, Clay Thompson, such a good guy, such a great player. You wonder if he's if we'll ever see the Splash Brothers the same again after this. Who knows? But definitely a heartbreaking injury. Thoughts go out to Clay Thompson there. 
So who wants to go first with our locks and upsets? I'll go last. I can go first. Right, uh, I'll go first this time. My lock uh, mentioned earlier, I like Ohio State minus 20 and a half against Indiana. Uh, just before I give you that, my reasoning on that, we here at WMUC Sports uh, are not advising you to take these picks. Uh, listen responsibly. But back to the, the pick of the week, I'm going Ohio State minus 20 and a half. Indiana have been great so far this year. Ohio State coming off the bye week. I like them big Justin Fields statement game. Uh, at home against Indiana. I think they're going to win by at least three touchdowns. And by upset of the week, I'm going to go to a little group of five football here. Uh, Coastal Carolina, 15th in the country. They've been a great story, 7-0. They're going to lose at home to Appalachian State, uh, one of the best group of five programs we've ever seen. Uh, they're due for that signature win on the season. I like them going into Conway, South Carolina, taking down the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, uh, yeah, they're my upset. They're five and a half point underdogs. I think they'll win outright this Saturday. All right. Um, my lock of the week. I was gonna, I was gonna take Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin will certainly cover. But I'm not looking at these lines right now. I'm gonna take. Of course, we don't encourage anyone to do anything with it. But I'm gonna say Cincinnati minus six. I mean, they're ranked seven in the country, and with um, college football committee making their first selection announcements this Tuesday. They could right be right there in the mix in the top six. They're playing a UCF team that's good. There's going to be a high-scoring game, really high-scoring. It's over-unders at 63.5 right now. Cincinnati puts up points with ease. And I think I think they're a really good team this year. It's six, less than a touchdown. I'm going to take Cincinnati minus six as my lock. And I really don't have an upset looking at this board this week. So, yeah, I'm going to forego an upset of the week. I said it before, obviously we don't want you to take these picks. If they lose, it's not our responsibility. Uh, but I'm taking Florida as my lock, sixth best team in the nation. They've been unstoppable. Covering the spread, they'd have to win by at least 32, maybe. But I think they're just going to win in general. I mean, Vanderbilt's 0-6. They probably will cover. But this is a big game for Florida to continue making their jump to try to win the SEC and, or, I mean, they'd have to compete with Alabama, but try to compete with Alabama to win the SEC, I guess, and then potentially make the playoff if they went out. And as far as upsets go, I also don't really see one, but I was going to take Kansas State over 17 Iowa State. I think Kansas State is due. Iowa State's an 11-point favorite. It's in Iowa State, but Kansas State plays tough on Fox at 4 p.m. It's a classic Big 12 game. I think Kansas State gets it done just by a little bit. Real quick here, just a little piece of maybe not breaking news, but a, a big piece of news in college football. The Pac-12 is approving uh, non-conference games for their football opponents. So that could have a ripple effect on the playoff. Who knows, maybe BYU as they finish their slate could add a game with Oregon or USC. One of those teams improved their strength the schedule. They went out, maybe somehow get in. Or on the flip side, if one of those teams gets a win over BYU, you never know. Uh, the West Coast football has always slept on a little bit out here on the uh, on the East Coast, but definitely could uh, end up in a massive ripple effect in the college football buff. So we appreciate you guys for tuning in today. Uh, we'll be back next week, maybe with one or two episodes, previewing the college hoop season. Personally, my favorite. 
I know it's Ben's favorite as well. It's probably all of our favorites, realistically. We love college hoops, so we'll be previewing that. And then we'll talk about some college football as well. Um, so we thank you guys for listening here on WMUC Sports.